Hello, I'm Stan Weatherford, and uh, it's good to be in Wimberley, Texas, and to be with my little brother and my sister and her husband, Ron, my brother-in-law, and then uh, John and Kayla, Scott's kids, and I hadn't seen them yet, but hello, there's good Baptists, they're all on the back row, so, uh, you know, I've been working on my brother-in-law all these years trying to get him to the front row, but I have not been successful. But I love you, Ron. It's, it's great to be here in uh, Wimberley, and I'm really looking forward to our time together as we jump into 1 John and talk about the assurance that we can know that we know that we know Jesus. Uh, 1 John, uh, John states his purpose in chapter 5, verse 13. He says, These things I'm writing unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so for the next few days, we're going to be talking about how we can know that we know him. And so it's a privilege to come and, and share with you. Now, Scott didn't do this at this service, but every other service, he has introduced me as the pig with the extra curl in his tail. Now, that's brothers, isn't it? I said, so I guess that makes him the piglet, right? And so anyway, I am his older brother. And uh, we, I've known him all his life, like he said, and uh, it is a joy to be with my brother and to be with all of you who are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for the privilege. I thought at the beginning here, I'd tell you a little bit about Scott, some things that maybe you don't know. So uh, the man who knows everything is going to be exposed. Uh, and I'm going to tell you some things. We grew up in Valparaiso, Florida. And we grew up in Mayberry, Valparaiso on one side of the bayou, Niceville on the other. So it was the Twin Cities, Niceville, Valpy. So we grew up around the water and around the bayou. And in our little town, we, you know, all knew each other. All the folks knew each other and everybody knew one another's business, all of those things that go along the small town. But in our small town of Valparaiso, we had a Coney Island hamburger and hot dog place. And now listen to this. This sounds incredible. Young people, you're not going to believe this, but listen to this. This is absolutely truth. You could go to Coney Island and buy five hamburgers for a dollar. And that's something. Five for a dollar. Six hot dogs for a dollar. And with a quarter, <laughs> with a quarter, you could buy a Coke. So for a dollar and 25 cents, you could get five hamburgers and a drink, or you could get six hot dogs and a drink. And Scott was their best customer. <laughs> One Christmas, I got a football suit for Christmas, and he got a cowboy suit. Pearl handle pistols, cowboy hat, boots, and a bicycle named Trigger. <laughs> and uh, listen, he watched enough westerns that he knew that you could take the barrel of that pistol and hit somebody in the head with the butt of it. And so if I'm a little bit off and you say, well, this Weatherford's a little bit crazy, it's because my brother hit me so many times in the head with the butt of a pistol. Anyway, well, that, we'd go to Fish City on that. But anyway, my mother... She watched over us like a hawk. I mean, we couldn't do anything, go anywhere without Mama worrying about where we are going to be. 
and all of that kind of stuff. I got in more trouble because I ran off than, than Scott did. But one day, Scott came up missing. Mama said, where is Scott? Well, Scott got on Trigger, his bicycle, and he rode up to Coney Island. And that's where he was. Mama didn't know where he was. Where's Scott? She's worried about Scott. Finally, Scott comes home. Where have you been? Where have you been, Scott? He said, I've been wasting my substance in riotous living. <laughs> that's my brother. Yeah, we, we love each other and, and uh, grew up in that small town of Valparaiso, Florida. We're going to be studying 1 John. When, when John wrote 1 John, he was writing to believers. And he's writing from his experience with Jesus. And he's writing to let them know the reality of their faith. And so he's writing them to encourage them to stay with the gospel message. And it's so important that we understand this because he's writing to some believers who are facing some difficult times. And, and by the way, it's always difficult to live for the Lord in a world that's going the other direction. But in the church, there were some false teachers who came in, and they were denying the reality of Christ's incarnation. They were saying things like this, Jesus really wasn't a man, he just appeared to be a man. And so they were preaching this theology that was really off base. And the truth of the matter is this, if you're wrong about Jesus, you're going to be wrong about every other aspect of life. And so they were wrong about Jesus. They had a philosophy called Gnosticism, and Gnosticism simply said this, all matter is evil and only the spirit is good. So they were saying that Jesus could not have had a material, physical body which was evil. He, had, he could not have had a body and been the sinless son of God. So they were saying that Jesus really didn't have a flesh body. He, he just appeared to be a man. And uh, he, what was important was the spirit. And the spirit came upon Jesus and then left Jesus. And it's, he was not really a person. And so that era led to a lot of things. It led to an era like this. It affected the ethics of the people. They could say things like this. Well, this whole body is sinful. It's of the flesh, and it doesn't matter anyway. So I can do with this whole body anything I want to. I can engage in any immorality I want to, and I'm still okay with God. In other words, they were saying things like this. I can live a sinful lifestyle and still be in right relationship with God. And that error was leading the people astray. And John wrote to say, wait a minute now, Jesus was real. Now ask me how I know he's real. He said, because I have experienced him personally in my life. I want you to understand this. The New Testament was written by those who were eyewitnesses of the incarnation or in association with those who were eyewitnesses of the incarnation of Christ. For instance, Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. He, he said this, listen, we were not making up cleverly devised stories when we told you about Jesus. We weren't making up this. We 
we were with him. I was with him on the holy mountain. And I heard the voice out of heaven. And what he was talking about is the transfiguration. When Peter, James, and John, and Jesus went up on the mountain and God manifested his glory and the glory of Christ was manifested and, and Elijah and Moses appeared on the mountain and Peter woke up and he saw all of that and he said, let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he heard the voice out of heaven. He said, I was there. I experienced, I was there. And, and I'm telling you, I'm not making up this story. This story, this happened. I was there. I'm an eyewitness to it. And I'm telling you what I know from experience. It's one thing for somebody to tell you about something. It's something else for the person who experienced it to tell you. And so John's doing the same thing. He's saying, let me tell you that Jesus is real. And he talks about his personal experience with Christ. Now, why is that important? The first step to the assurance of our salvation is our experience with Jesus Christ. If you've had an encounter with Christ, then you know that you know him. If you came to a point in your life where you realized you were a sinner and you needed a Savior and you came to Christ and you experienced his amazing grace in your life, then you know from your experience what Christ has done in your life. So this morning, I want everybody here to share your personal testimony. Now, Scott told me the last service I preached 50 minutes. I'm going to try not to do that. So those of you on the back row, when I get close, y'all start doing this. Like they did in seminary class, they'd hold up cards. Three, two, one, quit. So y'all keep that in mind. But I want everybody here to share your testimony. Now, you're going to say, how are we going to do that? Very simply, we're going to share a testimony. If you're here and you've had an experience with Jesus, that you've trusted him as your Savior and Lord, and he came into your heart and gave you the gift of eternal life, would you raise your hand and say amen? Amen. 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 Now look around. Did you see what we just did? We all just shared a personal testimony of how Christ came into our lives. You see, your witness is based on your experience with Jesus Christ. And if you know him, you have a story to tell. You have the story of God's grace in your life. And I, now our stories are different. There are different circumstances. There are different personalities that God used to bring us to Christ. Some of you came to Christ out of desperate situation. Maybe there was a crisis in your life or in your family. Maybe you were facing the loss of a job. Maybe you were having a financial crisis. Maybe you were having a health crisis and you came to Christ out of desperation. But the reality is this, we all come to Christ out of desperation. We'll never come to Christ until we realize how sinful we are and how much we need God's grace in our lives. So at some point in time, through some circumstance, through the influence of some person, you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you have a story to tell, and that story is your testimony. Well, John begins by telling his story and his testimony. So we need to understand this. We know Jesus to make Jesus known. And so we're talking about knowing Christ, but we're also talking about this, the power of our personal testimony. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and let's look at John's experience here as he shares 
his account of coming to know Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. By the way, John the Apostle, he wrote this letter. I believe that, that he was the author of this. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he also wrote, received and wrote Revelation. And so we have all of this material in our Bible based on the eyewitness experience of this man named John, who was a fisherman who became a disciple and an apostle of Christ. And so he shares his personal experience. So we'll talk about our personal testimony. Notice what he says. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, look at this, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. When John wrote, he said, let me tell you about my experience with Christ. And so your testimony is the reality of your personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice the progression here. John tells us how he came to know Christ, how the progression occurred. You see, God uses different ways to bring us to Christ. And the first thing is there's a growing awareness of need. There is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's the growing awareness that we need Christ. But John tells us that there was a growing awareness in his life of who Jesus was, and as he understood more of who Christ was, he came to experience him and to realize he is the word of life. The wonderful thing about Jesus is this. Jesus not only proclaimed the gospel, he embodied it. He is the message, and Jesus is the message. And John says, but let me show you what God did. He said, that which was from the beginning. In the gospel of John, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In chapter 1, verse 1. And then in verse 14, he said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. Notice what he said, and we beheld his glory. He was there with Peter on the mountain. We beheld his glory. And what he says is this, that eternal God who's always been, the eternal God, that which was from the beginning, has made himself known now in history. He's made him known in the person of Christ. The writer of Hebrews said, and God spoke in various ways in times past. He spoke through the prophets. He spoke through others. He spoke through dreams, circumstances, all different ways. But he said in his last days, he's spoken in his son. Literally, his son spoke. In other words, he's saying that which is eternal has come. And he came as a real person. And he said, and I heard him. Do you know that you can hear somebody before you see them? I flew in here on Friday, and I got off the plane in Austin, and I thought, this is the hottest place I've ever been in my life. <laughs> I said, I don't need to preach on John. I need to preach on hell. <laughs> and, and, but it's hot in Mississippi, too. But, but, but anyway, 
I got here, and, and we're staying at a beautiful place over here. Some gracious folks, the Duns, are allowing us to stay over there. And it's beautiful, and it's right on the river. And Tara said, let's walk down to the river and see the river. So I walked down to see the river, and she told me about the flood and all those things. And I heard some folks down the river, and it sounded like they were having fun. I said, said, oh, that's a bunch of college kids. They got a college retreat or something down here. And they got a girls' camp down here. And, you know, I could hear those kids, but I couldn't see them. But I knew they were there. And, you know, and John says, you know, I, I heard, but then... From hearing, I went to seeing. And he uses two words for see here. The first word in chapter 1, verse 1, is a word that means to, to see. It's kind of like all of us in here. Now, you're looking at me, and I'm looking at you. And you're trying to figure me out, and I'm trying to figure you out. We're all looking at each other, and they're saying, what's this, what's this guy about? I know he's Scott's brother, but, you know, so I'm looking at you, and you're saying, who's that weird guy? And I'm looking at you, and I said, who's all these weird people out here? <laughs> Not really. But this is the goal that we have, is as we spend time together, we will get to know each other. We'll, we'll get to, to understand, get to know each other. And my goal is I will know as many of you as I can before Wednesday is over. And that's, that's my goal. And so he says, we've seen him. And then all of a sudden he says this. We've not only seen him, we've touched him. We've been up close and personal. And I want you to know, Jesus is a real person. He had a flesh and blood body just like we do. He wasn't a spirit. He is a real man. He's living in a real world. Do you know that it was John who was leaning against Jesus at the Last Supper? It was John who was standing with Jesus' mother at the cross. And it was John that Jesus addressed and said, take care of my mother. He was there. And he says, I've touched him. Jesus is not some phantom. He's not some spirit being. He was a real person. And he said, in the process of that, in my experience with him, I came to an understanding. He was more than just a man. He was more than that. He was God who came in the flesh, and I came to experience him as the word of life. The next word for see that he uses in verse 3 means to see with understanding. In other words, God brought him along from understanding that which was eternal. He, he brought him on from hearing, from seeing, from touching, to believing. I want you to know this, that every time someone comes to Jesus, it's been through a process, that God is the one who takes the initiative to bring us to Christ, and he uses a lot of different ways to do that. Sometimes he uses circumstances. Sometimes he uses other people. But whatever it is, God brings us to Christ. He's the one who's drawing us to Jesus. John will say later, later in this letter, we love him because he first loved us. And that's what God does. And, and you might be going through some things in your life right now, and you're wondering why. And you're wondering, what, what is God, 
what, why? But you know, it might be that God's using that to draw, draw you closer to Christ and to use him. Let me, let me give you an illustration. I went to Cuba for the fifth time this year. I go to Cuba once a year, sometimes twice, usually in May or October, but this year we went in July. I have been hot all summer because <laughs> it was hot in Cuba and there's no air conditioning. That's why they take a siesta from noon until 5 o'clock in the afternoon because it is hot. But this time I had the most unusual experience. I've been down there enough now that when I go, I'm pretty well on my own. I hook up with Argelio Sanchez and his wife, Shelly. He's pastor of Second Baptist Church in Santiago. I hook up with him. I, I hang out there. But this year, I spent most of my time working with the Santiago Wasp professional baseball team in Santiago. I did not know that God would use my experience in baseball to put me in a situation in Cuba that he could use that experience so that I could speak to a group of professional baseball players and we could identify with each other. Now, this is how God works, about putting people in the right spot. The right fielder is a young man named Reuben, and Reuben was hopeful that he would be able to go to the Dominican Republic, which he did, play baseball, and be drafted by an American baseball professional team. And it didn't work out. And he was mad at God because it didn't work out. I sat down with Reuben. Reuben had been a believer. He said he was. But now God had disappointed him. And he was out there. I sat down with Reuben. And we talked. And I told him about the disappointment I experienced when pro baseball didn't work out for me. I told him the disappointment my son experienced after being drafted by the Rockies and how surgery ended his career. And I told him about my experience of, of questioning God and saying, now what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? And I was asking the wrong question. I should have been saying, God, what do you want me to do? When I started asking that question, the answers came. And I'm sitting there. His wife is sitting on the edge of the bed behind him, and she's a believer. And she wants so desperately for her husband to get his life right and back where God wants it to be. And she's crying, and tears are running down her cheeks as I'm telling my story. And I look at Rubiel, and I said, Reuben, Rubiel, Reuben, God sent me all the way from Crystal Springs, Mississippi to sit in your house and deliver his message to you. And that's what I've done. And he realized it, and I realized it too. Do you see how God made the connection? Isn't that amazing? Let me tell you something else. I was there two years ago and went up in the mountains, and Hurricane Sandy had destroyed a church. And I talked with the pastor, and I said, what do you need? He said, I need $600 to fix the church. I said, that's no problem. I went back to my church, and I told the vacation Bible school kids, we need to take an offering to Bible school to help man build a church in Cuba. 
We also need five bicycles and five donkeys. You know what those kids did? Vacation Bible school offered, and they brought all those pennies, all that change, and it added up to $1,500. I had enough money to fix build a church and buy five donkeys and five bicycles and help a seminary student. That's God. I'll go back. So Pastor Alex at El Cobre takes me up to the mountains to see this pastor. I didn't know this. But the pastor I talked to was no longer the pastor there. It's a whole different guy. I'm talking about how God works now. It's a whole totally different guy. So he had no idea that I'd had a previous conversation with the pastor who was before me. So I'm sitting there with $600 in my pocket to help him build a church. He had no clue. He'd never seen me. I'd never seen him. And so Pastor Alex said, what do you need? And this is what he said. I've been praying. I've been praying over here in this corner. He said, I pray over here because I've got two boys and they can't see me when I'm on my knees over here. This is where I pray. And I've been praying that God would provide the resources for me to be able to fix our church. He had no idea that I had what he needed. And Pastor Alex said, Pastor Stan has something he wants to give to you. Reached in my pocket, I gave him $600. And he burst into singing, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. And you know the rest of it. And I realized that God was answering a Cuban pastor's prayer through a group of kids in Crystal Springs, Mississippi. And he made the connection. That's God. Did God make a connection in your life one day when you realized that you needed Jesus and you asked him to come into your heart? That's your story. And however God used it, that's your story. You see, the second thing about your testimony is the undeniable reality of life change. So what John is saying is this. Not only did I come to know him as the word of life, but he changed my life. That's what he did. You see, John was a fisherman. He and his brother and the Simon sons of Zebedee, and they had a fishing business there in Capernaum. One day Jesus walked along the seashore and he said, follow me. And they left their nets and the hired men and they went and followed Jesus. And they began a journey of life change. And as he walked with Jesus, as he talked with Jesus, as he saw Jesus do all those miracles, as he saw Jesus touch people and heal people and all of those things, and then when he saw Jesus die on the cross and, and watched how he died and then experienced the glory of the resurrection, he said, and I come to know him as the word of life. And he changed my life. And he'll change yours too. You see, and that's what Jesus does. He changes our life. See, he changes our heart. And then he changes our mind. And then he changes our desires. And he changes our whole purpose for living.
It's like Paul who said, I used to be a Pharisee. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was all these things, but it doesn't mean anything to me for the surpassing glory of knowing Christ my Lord. And your testimony is the story of life change and how Christ is changing your life. You see, your testimony is not just what happened back there. My testimony, I accepted Christ when I was seven years old, but I don't have a seven-year-old faith anymore. It's not just what happened back there. It's what God is doing now and what he's doing in your life now as you're learning how to walk with Jesus. Now, let me remind you something. The goal of the Christian life is not to go to heaven. I'm going to say that again. The goal of the Christian life is not to go to heaven. The goal of the Christian life is to become more like Jesus. And as we grow in our relationship with Christ, our testimony becomes a powerful, undeniable reality of life change. And so that everywhere you go, your life becomes confrontational because you're walking with Christ and the light of Christ is shining through you. Do you realize the gospel is confrontational? There's no such thing as a non-confrontational gospel because when you share the word of life and you're living the word of life, somebody's got to make a decision. And the gospel forces a decision. You can say no, you can say yes, or you can say not now, but not now is to say no. And so it's always confrontational. So I want to tell you this. Wherever you go, share your testimony. I mean, if you're at the grocery store and you're standing in the checkout line, share your testimony. If you're at the doctor's office waiting on your appointment, share your testimony. If you're at the football game and you're in the stands, share your testimony. No matter where you are, share your testimony. And if necessary, use words. And let the light and the love of Jesus be seen through your life. Your story is powerful. It's a powerful reality of what Christ has done in your life. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It is still the power of God unto salvation to all who will believe. And don't be apologetic because you know Jesus. Be rejoicing and proclaiming that he is Lord and live accordingly. Now, one other thing about your testimony. Your testimony connects you to a greater reality connects you to a greater reality, and that reality is the church. We need each other as believers. We need the church. We need the church to be able to distinguish between the voice of God and the voice of our own ego. We need the church to help us. We need each other to help each other live a godly life. We don't come to church for what's in it for me. We come to church to, to hear him so that we might go out and be the witnesses that he's called us to be. We come to grow so that we can sow the word of God.
We need the church. And I want to tell you something wonderful about the church and the joy of the church. Scott and I are brothers. We grew up in this same little house in Valparaiso, Florida. I know him, and he knows me. We know each other, and we know each other very well. When we were growing up, we lived in a 1,200-square-foot house, three boys in one 10 by 10 bedroom. Do you think it was tough in there? <laughs> David was on this, on this side, Scott and I were on this side. Had triple bunks, one on the floor, two stacked. I was on top, Scott was on the bottom. I learned how to fight in that bedroom. I learned that if you're going to fight, occupy the high ground. It's always easier to swing down than it is to swing up. <laughs> so we fought each other. I've whipped him many times. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. You agree, Scott. Anyway, well, we're brothers. But this is the thing. As brothers, we jump on each other. But if somebody jumped on Scott, they had to fight me too. Somebody jumped on me, guess what? They had to fight Scott too. And we knew how to fight each other, so we fought well together. <laughs> so we grew up in the same little house, and we're brothers. And I love my brother. And we're different. You, know, you notice that. I'm from Mississippi. You're going to get so used to this Mississippi accent that you're going to say, man, that is a hillbilly from Mississippi. My wife told me the other day, said, you are a redneck country boy with a city man's education. That's who you are. Said, you are educated beyond your intelligence. <laughs> when I was a kid, we, we played a lot of baseball, and I played baseball, and I could throw. I could really throw it. And uh, it, it, was, it was an amazing gift that God had given to me, and I could throw a baseball. And I'd get up there, and Scott and I would play baseball, and Scott would get up the bat get all positioned. I said, okay, now, Scott, I'm going to throw you a curveball. So hang in there. Don't bail out. It's going to break, so don't you be backing out. You know, we're doing this. I'm going to throw you a curve. Then I'd throw him a fastball and hit him in the ribs. <laughs> and the thing about it, I did that several times, and he never did catch on to it. <laughs> He's not as smart as he thinks he is. Now he calls me, and he says, hey, I got this theological question. Blah, 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 blah. What are you thinking? I just make up something. He said, man, that's great. I'll go with it. I said, he's still just as dumb as he ever was. <laughs> We're brothers, and we can pick at each other. And my personality's different than Scott's, but we're brothers. We're not in competition with each other. We love each other. And when great things are happening in Scott's life, I am rejoicing. When it's not going well, I'm weeping. We have learned through the years to rejoice with each other. We've also learned how to weep with each other. We're brothers. It occurred to me that we're more than brothers. We have the same biological parents, but we have Father God. And guess what? This biological brotherhood will end one day, but our brotherhood in Christ will never end. So, and y'all listen, I am trying my best, honestly, to look at everybody here, but I got two red lines up here, <laughs> and I can't walk outside these lines. 
because all you folks that are listening, you, wanna, you don't want me to walk out of the picture. So I'm glad you're listening. Thank you for being a part of this service. So I want you to know that you're watching that you're a part of God's family too. And we miss you being here, but we're glad you're here. So thank you for being a part of God's family. But what I want you to understand is this. You are my brothers and sisters. You're my family. You are my brothers and sisters. You're my family. You are my brothers and sisters. You're my family. You are my brothers and sisters. You're my family. You are my brothers and sisters. You're my family. And you are my brothers and sisters. You are my family. I want you to look at each other. Just turn around and look at each other. Doesn't God have a sense of humor? Uh, now, I want you to understand something. When you are going through a tough time in your life, this is the family that's going to be praying for you. This is the family that might bring a casserole to your house. This is your family that might come and sit beside you at the hospital. This is your family. When you ex celebrate the joys in your life, when your kids get married, your grandkids get married, guess what? This is your family. They're going to be the ones who's going to attend the shower and bring the gifts. They're going to be the ones who will be there to rejoice with you. But dads, I'm going to tell you something. If your daughter's getting married, they're not going to be the ones that write the check. <laughs> what I'm saying is this. We're the family of God. And our testimony connects us to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what John is saying here. I've come to experience Jesus, and guess what? You're my family. And because you're my family, I'm writing to you to give you assurance and encouragement because we all need each other, and we do.